How could a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will never forget your word. This is verses 9 to 16 of Psalm 119, the first 24 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, April the 27th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Daniel, uh, the second chapter, verses 17 to 30. Also in the Gospel according to John, the 17th chapter, verses 20 to 26, and in the first epistle of John, the second chapter, verses 12 to 17 there. <clears throat> so remember that what's happened is, is that, that uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream that troubled him, so much so that he couldn't sleep because of the dream. So he called in all the people in his kingdom, the, the magicians, the enchanters, the diviners, and the Chaldeans, and has said, I need you to make known to me two things, what the dream is. And as as well as what the interpretation of that dream is. And they said, we can't do that. Nobody on earth can do that. And they made the claim that, that only the gods who don't dwell among flesh could do that. In other words, the power that, that, that it would take to reveal this mystery of the dream and its interpretation is beyond reach. We can't go up to heaven and bring this down where the gods are. So there's no way for that wisdom to be communicated down to us. We we see things in the heavenlies, but we can't this is this is beyond the scope of our knowledge and our ability to even get this knowledge. We don't have any place to get it because the gods are inaccessible to us. So Daniel goes to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. In other words, the, the diviners and the Chaldeans have said that, that this wisdom and knowledge is inaccessible to us because it resides with the gods who don't dwell among flesh. And Daniel and his companions are praying and asking God to reveal it to them. The gods, for most of, like the Babylonians, are functional gods. They're not relational gods. They're functional. They, they provide what's necessary to make the land fertile, or they do this, or they do that. But, but you've got to know which god to pray to or make a sacrifice to or whatever. But nobody has the intention of understanding that, that the gods are going to reveal things to, to human flesh. That's just not how it works. You get the oracles of Sybil and things like that, but, but they're going down into the bowels of the earth and, and retrieving these words because, well, those caves were filled with gases that put these people into sort of hallucinatory trances. And then they came out and spoke. But the, the Chaldeans, it was, theirs was a scientific understanding of things, not relational with God. And so they, they prayed that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
He thanked God for what God gave him. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you've given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you've made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel, in exile, who would have been nobility in the land, is now sort of not nobody because the king set him up in a place, but but he's not serving his God normally. He's serving the king of Babylon. But at the same time, Daniel never lost sight of the fact that wherever he was in whatever situation he was in, his job was to give glory to God, and it was to reveal that his God was greater, and he was serving God no matter what he did or whatever the king asked of him. His heart was never in that work of being the, the guy for the king. So Daniel went into Arioch, who's the head of the chief's guard, the one who had come looking for Daniel to kill him, actually as one of the Chaldeans, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and, and said thus to him, Don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I'll show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch, who probably didn't want to kill all the wise men of Babylon, because if you kill all the wise men of Babylon, then what do you have? No wise men in Babylon. Nobody wants that to be the, the outcome. But, but Nebuchadnezzar had set this as a test to prove if they were truly wise. So if these are the best wise men that I have, then I don't need those wise men. I need wiser men than that. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, so he hurried to do this, and said thus to him, to the king, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, which was the, uh, the chief eunuch, had, had named him, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. In other words, that knowledge that you're asking for transcends human ability to know. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So this God who's in heaven, and this is exactly what they, the, the diviners, had said, was just that the gods who don't make their dwelling among flesh. He said there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he's made it known to you, Nebuchadnezzar. He's telling him about another God. Not his God, but another God, Daniel's God. And he said, he is the one who's in charge of all this, and, and he is saying things. He's speaking to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. So it's it's prophetic dream. And, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what's to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than the, all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. In other words, Daniel's saying, God gave me this wisdom. I don't have it. I don't possess it. It was given to me, and it was given to me for a reason. It was so that you, the interpretation, might be made known to you, to the king, and that you might know the thoughts of your own mind. And so God showed something to you, 
and you received it in such a way that it troubled you greatly. Well, here's the deal. God showed that to you, and then he revealed the truth behind all this to me so that you would know the interpretation. So Daniel doesn't claim to possess any great wisdom and knowledge. The only thing he possesses is to have a, or claims to possess, is a relationship with the God of heaven such that the God of heaven would speak to him and reveal things to him. And he says, you too, Nebuchadnezzar, he knows you. This God I'm talking about revealed this to you. So he's setting up the entire thing to give glory to God, not to himself. He's deflected every single bit of this. But he's also saying, Nebuchadnezzar, he, that God that I'm telling you about that you don't know anything about, he cares about you, this Babylonian king, enough to reveal the future to you. In the gospel today, Jesus continues the high priestly prayer and said, I don't ask, what was he asking for? Not that God would take us out of the world, but that he would protect us from the evil one. He said, I don't ask this for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So he's praying down the millennia for us and all who will come after us, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. He's praying for the Holy Spirit to come and bind us together in fellowship and community so that, he says, the reason that I want them to be uh, one as we're one is so the world may believe that you've sent me. So that, that unity among Christians is intended to prove something about Jesus. It's intended to prove the truth. That unity, it it sits on top of the proclamation, and it authenticates the proclamation is true. The glory that you've given me, I've given them, that they may be one even as we are one. That's, That's a powerful prayer, that we human beings would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So there's a unity that transcends human aspiration for unity that Jesus is praying for. And again, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So the love of the Father for us, who are Jesus' disciples and followers, is, in, is the same quality and quantity as his love for Jesus himself. If we are in Christ, he loves us the same way that he loves Jesus. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, this is the second time he said that. He said it actually a whole bunch of times, but but he said it that specifically a couple of times. Uh, Whom you've given me may be with me where I am. In other words, where he he is in in his mind and in his being at that moment is actually with the Father. He said, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So before there was ever any of this, there was us and the glory and the love that we share with one another. And I want them to be able to come there to see this in the fullness of reality. Now, the resurrection is certainly going to give us some pretty good glimpse into how much the Father loves Jesus. And, and, and I say that because he's the only one who's ever been resurrected from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he ultimately died. Jesus was resurrected and will never die. And so what he's praying is that we would be able to participate in being there with him at the throne of the Father in order that we would see the fullness of the revelation of him. To see my glory, you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And he will continue to make it known. How will he continue to make it known? He'll continue to make it known through the Holy Spirit. So the, the, the Spirit brings continuing revelation of Jesus. And so what we do is, is that we commit ourselves in the same way Daniel did to knowing the things of God, to knowing those things as the primary thing we study, we know, and we care about. And it's, it goes back to the parables Jesus tells about the kingdom where he says, you know, it's like the pearl of great price. It's like the treasure hidden in a field. It's like the widow with the lost coin. And, and the only one that matters is the one that's lost. And, and so she does everything in order to find that thing. And it's exactly the way that we're intended to live. The, the thing, the knowledge of the kingdom and knowledge of God are, are to be our primary motivations to know more. In in the epistle today, John's going to speak to three classes of people, and it's not, it's, the language that he uses here isn't intended to be read literally as though he's talking to little children, young men, and fathers. Um, it, it's to be read as those who are, who are new in the faith, who are um, new, not as new in the faith, and then those who have been in the faith a while. He said, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So that's the, Paul would say, that's the pablum of the gospel. It's the beginning point of the gospel. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So I recognize that you don't know a lot, but, but I want to ensure, assure you of that truth. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven in his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. John recognizes that in his own gospel, he, he's used this idea of faith um, and belief in such a way that, that there's an unfolding in that revelation and an increasing in knowledge. And so here he, he starts with little children because their sins are forgiven. And then says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. In other words, you, you understand the inextricable connection between Jesus and the Father and you understand more. I'm writing you young men because you've overcome the evil one. You've had some seasoning in in the word, some seasoning in faith. And because of that, you have made it your point in life to conquer the evil one in your life. In other words, you're, you're working on sanctification. And you're trying your best to purify yourselves, purify your hearts and your minds and, and your body and your desires. And then he says, I write to you children because you know the Father. So, again, it's basics. I write to you fathers because you know who is, him, who is from the beginning, which extends your knowledge from beyond father to more than that, to creator. And it's the same thing he says the first time around. So he's extending, if you, if you want to say, here's what you know, well, I know this much. I know that, that God is also Father. I know Jesus. I know my sins are forgiven, and I know they're forgiving by a loving, loving Father. And so that he encourages them in the things that they know. But to the fathers, he says, your love extends back all the way to Genesis 1. And so you know these things. I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Don't love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, the more your attention and your, your desires are grounded in earth, in the world, the more it's provable that that's your main thing, that you love the world as opposed to loving God. And, and he says you can't have both. You can't love the world and have the love of the Father. You can love the Father, and then he can show you how to rightly love the world as he does. Seeing it for what it is, understanding it, and, and that would push us over to the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who mourn. <clears throat> Blessed are they who are poor in spirit. It's because they see the world for what it is. They, they don't just see the allure of the world. They don't just see riches and travel and um, houses and cars and whatever else might be on the list. They don't just see that. No, they see the suffering in the world as well. It, it, if you went to Pauly's Island, at least when we were there, you could you could drive around there and, and, and kind of see all the the shops, all the banks, all the stores, all the nice houses, all that kind of stuff. And, and you could completely come away with um, an idea that, that there was only sort of one strata of society in Pauly's Island. If you lived there a while and you drove around some of the back roads, what you would discover is there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of difficulty there, there's a lot of strife. And so it, it can look great from the outside, but, but, and, it, and it is a wonderful place. I loved it. But the problem, and it's the same way with Asheville. Um, you, you can go to all the tourist places here and see all that stuff and, and think, oh, wow, what a great place. But the reality is, is there's a lot of crime here and there's a lot of suffering. And there's a lot of poverty. And so we can we can fall in love with the world because we ignore so much. We ignore those things that are not pleasing and we stay away from them. As I preached one time about the prodigal, not the prodigal, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and the reality is most of us don't see people laying in ditches beaten because we know where those people are likely to be, and we don't go anywhere near those places. But we turn, in those ways, we turn a blind eye to suffering in the world. And so love of the world is a denial of reality. And so when when John says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, then the, the Father loves the world. Make no mistake about that. He loves the world so much that he sent his son to die for the world, but he loves the world rightly because he sees it for what it is. He sees its brokenness, and he sees its limitations. He sees its suffering, and that's the reason Jesus came, and that's the reason that he suffered on the cross and died, to show you that God knows what this world really is, and he exposes the world in the cross. All these people that look so good, the leaders of Israel and all that, are the ones who put Jesus to death. And so he's exposing the world's systems for what they are. He's exposing sin in the world in the depth of the fallenness of man in sending his son into the world out of love. So for all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, and the pride of life is, is arrogance and boasting, sort of that, that stuff from Deuteronomy 8, which we're going to see again in a few weeks, which Moses says, I know what's going to happen. You're going to come into the land. He's going to give you the land. You're going to conquer the land in spite of the fact that there's no way you could actually conquer the peoples that are there. He's going to give you all of that. But then in time, this thing of arrogance and pride is going to creep in and you're going to believe that you did it on your own. 
And that's what he means here. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So the desires of the flesh can be all kinds of things, right? It's, it's ease, comfort, lack of suffering, all that kind of stuff. The desires of the eyes, well, that would be what Jesus talks about when he says, you've heard it said um, that, that, that committing, about committing adultery, but he who looks on a woman with lust has committed that sin. And so that's that second thing, the desire of the eyes. But the pride of life is the belief that whatever you have, you got it on your own without any help from him, that you're a self-made man or woman. He said, all that's in the world, all that stuff is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then he gives us the, the main thing we need to know, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So you can either set your sights, as, as uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, on the things below the sun, and you can be disappointed, because ultimately it'll be revealed to you that those things pass away. You don't get to take them with you, and they, they are going away. Or you can set your eyes on the things above the sun. And it's those things that we that we need to set our sights on. We're just told that again and again and again. And Jesus did all that. He came down here because of love for you and love for the Father. But his desire was to be back with the Father. But he came down here on a rescue mission of love for us so that we may be with him where he is. And we're only going to get there if we have the attitude of Daniel that says there's nothing special in me, but God made some things known to me. And it's because he loved him. He loved him enough to preserve his life and reveal these things to him. And, and we need to constantly keep that in mind. The love of God towards us is, is immense. The love of the world towards us is, is not so immense, and it's certainly not forever. So today, let's give glory to God and thanks to God for all that he's done for us in Christ Jesus.